Well, welcome back. If you weren't here this morning, you may wonder about our new decorating scheme. It's for Carpenter Place, most of you know. And if I go a little too long and anybody gets hungry, just come on up. Lots to choose from here. All right, we have been working on understanding the times. Uh, thought has... Uh, Brother Weber was praying about us understanding the times. I've been kind of approaching this all year that it's just for us, uh, good for us to understand this and know what to do and all of that. And it occurred to me that uh, a lot of this is evangelistic stuff. Uh, If we know some of these things, uh, if we understand the times, these are topics that come up all the time out in the world in the break room or with your neighbor or somewhere, people mention these things. They're in the news every day. And if we have a basic understanding and realize what we believe and what the Bible says, uh, I think we can reach out to people and say, here's what I think about that, and here's what the Bible says about that. Uh, So there's more than just us understanding it. Uh, We can know what to do with it, perhaps. Uh, The concept is we're looking at current moral topics, current issues, uh, and seeing most of them are things that, how did we get here? Uh, We don't understand uh, how the country and the society got to such a place on some of these things so quickly. So we've been trying to understand that and what we've been on for a number of weeks, and we'll have one more week on after tonight, uh, is matters of life and death. And I lumped these all together so... It'll take us six weeks to get through all of them. But we started, if you remember, by talking about the Bible's concept of the sanctity of life. What the Bible says about life itself and how it comes from God and how it is sacred. And from there we went to all these different topics uh, where the world has decided that life isn't that sacred in a number of situations. And we spent a couple of weeks on the topic of abortion. Uh, we move into a couple of other topics uh, tonight and next week. Uh, before I get into it, I just wanted to mention, uh, I've never handed out voters' guides before, but since we've talked about this, uh, and since the election's coming up, and since the pro-life Kansans uh, uh, for Life happened to drop off a stack of voters' guides, uh, I've got them available. And they're here, and I'll take them back with me and put them on the back uh, counter of the back hat rack. Uh, I don't endorse it. I haven't studied it. I can't verify it. I just know that the Kansans for Life are very serious about this matter of pro-life and evaluating candidates and sending out questionnaires to them. Uh, and so I decided since we had them, I'll put them back there. And if anybody wants to pick one up, they're welcome to do so. All right. Let's talk about one that doesn't come up much anymore. Uh, stem cells. Uh, I don't see that in the paper too much these days. A few years ago, it was a big deal. Uh, people were arguing about it all the time, and I thought we probably ought to include that just so we understand it a bit. Uh, a few years ago, I think mainly what encouraged the discussion uh, was a couple of things. Number one, we were just figuring out what stem cells are and what potential they have for uh helping people, perhaps. And I think the second thing was a guy named Christopher Reeve, uh, Superman, to those of you that 
have been around long enough to remember. Uh, Superman was paralyzed in a horse riding accident, if I remember what happened. Uh, had a spinal cord injury. And he became a very big advocate, and his wife became a very big advocate after his death, of stem cell research and utilizing stem cells. And during all that discussion, there was a lot of uh, pushing for more and more stem cell research and all that. And you might remember that there was also a lot of uh, religious folks, uh, pro-life kind of people, that were arguing, no, we shouldn't be using stem cells. And the argument was, well, they can heal people. You know, why, why wouldn't we use stem cells? And whether you got into it enough back then to understand it or not, I don't know, but it's kind of died down now, but it's still worth us understanding, I think. So I just decided to cover it in the form of a few questions, so they're on their handout. Uh, first of all, what's a stem cell? Not something we usually talk about. Uh, a stem cell, as I understand it, is a cell, that, uh, kind of a master cell, if you want to call it that. It's in the body, or it's in uh, the embryo especially. Uh, basically, all of them are stem cells then because they, they have the ability to turn into almost any other kind of cell. Depending where they're put, they can replicate themselves and become like that cell. Uh, and... That's how the embryo starts out, and they can develop into 200 or so distinct different kinds of cells. Yeah, adults also have stem cells, and they are what repair us. Uh, when something gets torn or broken or uh, diseased, the, the adult stem cells rebuild that and repair it. So it's a, an amazing part of God's creation. Uh, but that's what a stem cell is, kind of a special master cell that fixes things and becomes like some other cell. So that's why Christopher Reeve thought this was a wonderful thing. If you can take some stem cells that have the ability to become other cells and repair things, you put some in his spinal cord, and it'll rebuild a new spinal cord, perhaps. And he'll be healed. Okay. That was the, the theory, anyway. Okay. Question two, where do they come from? Uh, like I said already, we've all got stem cells in our body. But to research with them and to use them scientifically, there's a couple of places where they get them, uh, embryonic and non-embryonic. And the embryonic ones come from little human embryos that are usually from in vitro fertilization. We can do that now. We can take... Uh, a woman's egg and a, a sperm and put them together and create uh, an embryo outside the woman's body. When you have those embryos, uh, they can be implanted in a woman and develop into a baby and give birth. But when they do that, they usually make more than one. Uh, they make a whole bunch at once, and a couple that's using in vitro fertilization to get pregnant uh, once they're pregnant, they don't need the other ones. So science freezes them and saves them. Now the question is what to do with them, because they're little humans, technically. Uh, what to do with them? Well, pro-stem cell research people, pro-embryonic stem cell research people, say, well, let's use these. Well, let's take them and 
put them in Christopher Reeve's spine and heal him. That's a good thing to do with it. And some people say, well, hold it now. That's a human life. Why would we take a human life uh, to research with or to even to heal another person? Uh, why would we do that? Human life is sacred. Uh, but embryonic are not the only kind. Uh, there are also uh, adult stem cells, and they come from lots of places. We can get them in our bone marrow. Uh, the placenta, when a child is born, is full of stem cells. I understand that the umbilical cord blood has gazillions of stem cells that are excellent for uh, the kind of research that they're they're wanting to do and all that. Uh, also read that body fat has lots of stem cells in it, so we should never run out of stem cells. We ought to have lots of stem cells available uh, just from adults. Uh, so that's where they come from. Now, uh, the ones in embryonic stem cell results, I already talked about that a little bit from the in vitro fertilization, Second thing they come from there is we are good enough now that we can, or bad enough, I don't know which, but we can clone these cells. So we can make other embryonic stem cells or embryonic, other embryos and use them for research. Now, all that's just a bunch of science, just a bunch of facts. The question is, and in understanding the times, is all of that okay? Is that ethical? Is it Moral is it uh, jive with the uh, sanctity of life that we talked about? Well, what do we think about that? And some of the arguments against using embryonic stem cell, I don't think anybody objects to using uh, stem cells from umbilical cords and other places that we get them from adults or born children. Uh, nobody objects to that, I don't think. But... The, embryo, the embryos that we're destroying, that's life. So what do we think about that? And the arguments would be, what I put here on your handout, uh, an embryo is human life. It's one of the earliest, it's the earliest stage, uh, but it's fully human. You put it in the right environment, it will become a baby. Okay. So it's got everything in it that it needs to become a human. And it deserves protection, would be the argument from the sanctity of life position. Uh, a second argument would be, why would we want to mess with life like that when we've got adult stem cells? When we've got so many other sources that are promising, and uh, some research shows that they're even more promising for helping uh, restore uh, damaged areas of the body. Why don't we focus on that instead of being so... Uh, hung up on using embryos. Uh, another argument would be that, well, it's just another step. It's just one more step in devaluing human life. And everything we've been talking about in this whole topic here, the first four things, that's what we keep coming back to. We've got these two worldviews. One view, God is God and what he says is true. And the other is we just all happened and there is no God. Well, if God is God and says life is sacred, it's sanctified, it's a, the, the sanctity of life is important, and men shouldn't take other humans' lives, well, that's an important thing. If, however, your worldview is there is no God, and we just happened, well, then do whatever you want. 
ultimately. But in this kind of situation, I think it really shows, shows itself up because if this life is all there is, see, if there's no life after this, if there's no God, then this life is all important. So nobody should have to hurt or suffer. You know, Christopher Reeve shouldn't have to be in a wheelchair if we can do something to fix him because this life is all there is. That's the reasoning that pushes this is even if you have to destroy a potential human life, doesn't matter. Let's fix somebody that needs fixing. So the the whole concept of matters of life and death are re- reflected in this one, even though it's a little bit harder to get excited about a microscopic uh, thing in a Petri dish somewhere, but the, the, the concept is still the same. So that's kind of a quick understanding of embryonic stem cell research. Okay, let's talk about another one that is a little more current and a little more uh, happening right now today. In fact, I've got a uh, newspaper article here from just a few couple of weeks ago, uh, October the 6th, the Wichita paper. Uh, says uh, The headline is, A court says a paralyzed woman can choose death. Here's the story. A cancer-stricken woman fighting a right-to-die battle against her parents won the backing of a court Friday, which ruled that the 28-year-old bank manager from New York City, who is paralyzed as a result of a brain tumor, may decide her own fate. Okay? The emotional case has been playing out in this room at the North Shore Hospital and on a Facebook page about saving her. Uh, and the Facebook page is created by those people who side with her family members who are desperate to keep her on life support. Uh, The story goes on to say, Only Oregon and Washington permit people with terminal illnesses to request prescription medication to bring about death. Uh, But in all states, mentally competent adults may decide if they wish to go on with life-prolonging treatments even in the face of terminal illness. Okay. Lee became paralyzed from the neck down in September as a result of a brain tumor and was given a few months to live. She's been on a ventilator since September, and her doctors say she has clearly expressed a desire to be removed from life support to end the suffering. Lee's parents insist that she is depressed and heavily medicated and in no position to make such a decision and that hastening death would be a sin. Okay. Right out of the news, folks. Uh, this is the kind of matter of life and death that we have to reason about, we have to think about, and lawmakers have to write laws about. And many, maybe all eventually in this room, uh, will come to end-of-life decisions in our families. Okay, So... This is a pretty, uh, I mean, a real topic here, uh, end-of-life decisions. And the two that I want to talk about before we see what the Bible has to say about end-of-life decisions and all that uh, are euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. Now, they're two different things. Uh, I put an obituary on here from you, for you from uh, Dr. Kevorkian. How many of you remember Dr. Kevorkian? Old Jack, Dr. Death, 
interesting character, actually. And if you read his obituary, it's kind of a positive slant on his life. Uh, but he just died a little over a year ago. Uh, he was a medical pathologist, and his big interest was that people shouldn't have to suffer. That people came to the end of their life and they had uh, diseases, they had no quality of life, was the, the famous term, is they ought to be able to get out of this life if they want to. And so Dr. Kevorkian made it his mission in life to help people like that get out of this life. Uh, well, that was against the law. Uh, now it's legal in Oregon, and according to this article, which I didn't take time to research, it says Washington is legal also. But back when Kevorkian was doing this, back in the 90s, it was illegal everywhere. And he tried to... Uh, bring attention to this, and he definitely brought attention to it, uh, by helping people kill themselves. Uh, he made up a machine that uh, had chemicals in it, and you could self-inject uh, them into yourself and kill yourself. Physician-assisted suicide. And uh, like the first one he did it's in here somewhere back in 1990 or somewhere like that. Anyhow, he helped about 130 people kill themselves. Now, once again, we go to worldviews. There was a big argument over whether this was good or bad. Uh, the the worldview that there is no God, that life isn't that sacred, and you can do anything you want, uh, said Dr. Kevorkian's a hero. You know, uh, people that believe there is a God, and that lesson we had about the sanctity of life, thought, hold it, there's something really wrong with this. Well, this isn't a good idea. Yeah. Well, Kevorkian pushed that. In fact, he pushed it enough that Oregon uh, passed a law that is legal. Uh, you can ask a doctor to end your life. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled on that back in, I think, 97, in the notes here somewhere. Uh, uh, they ruled that there's no, uh, that's down later in euthanasia, uh, but they ruled that there's no federal constitutional right to physician-assisted suicide. Okay? Well, I, I believe that's right. Uh, the, the Constitution guarantees us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, but doesn't say anything about you got the right to kill yourself. And that's what the Supreme Court said. Well, the Constitution doesn't give us that right. And so they left it up to the states and Oregon and presumably Washington, uh, have passed laws that say it's okay. Um, anyhow, that's who Kevorkian was. That's how, what he got famous for. And he got it, Oregon, to pass a Death with Dignity Act, uh, which allows people to end their life with a, a doctor's help. help. Now, the difference between physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia is that in physician-assisted suicide, the doctor gives a patient something to kill themselves with. They don't do it. Uh, they give them the pills and, or the medicine or whatever and say, here, and presumably leave. Uh, I think Kevorkian stayed with them and coached them through it and all that. Uh, euthanasia is when a doctor does it to a patient, whether the patient knows what's going on or not. 
And that's the three canes that I put down here. Uh, and there's not a whole lot of difference when the patient agrees and that's what he wants and all of that when it's voluntary. When the patient says, okay, I'm, I'm ready to, ready to die. Help me get out of here. And the doctor does it to him. That would be voluntary. Uh, non-voluntary would when the patient doesn't know about it or consent to it. And involuntary would be when the patient says, no, I don't want you to do that. But sometimes families uh, can make that decision if the patient is not able to make the decision or even when they are in some states and some countries. Uh, and we I didn't put that in here and we don't really have time to talk about it a whole lot. But there's a, countries that have gone a lot further than us in this. Uh, we're in Sweden and some of those those areas. Uh, they have a lot of physician-assisted suicides for a lot of what I would consider very trivial reasons. Okay? See, once you pass the law that says if a patient asks a doctor to take them out, who, who judges whether it's a good reason or not? And that's what this newspaper article was about. This 28-year-old woman says, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to leave. I don't want to put up with this anymore. And her parents say, she, she she's not thinking straight. But once you've passed the law, who decides? Well, if the law says this 28-year-old woman can decide, then she's probably going to get to decide. Uh, I've read stories, and I should have researched some before I talk about it, but I've read stories about Sweden and other places where uh, some 25-year-old didn't make it in the career they wanted. They thought they wanted to be a dancer, and they didn't make it, and so they're depressed, and they go to the doctor and say, life's not worth living. The doctor says, okay. Uh, once you go down that road, it's real hard to draw a line anywhere. Okay. But that's the road you go down when you take the worldview that life is not sacred. Okay, uh, so euthanasia is the intentional killing of a patient uh, by a physician directly intervening or, or uh, doing the killing for them. Okay, now, their states have voted on this. They've talked about it. Uh, Oregon and Washington uh, are the only two that I know of uh, that have done it. Uh, many state legislatures have discussed it. According to the stuff I read, 25 have voted on it and decided not to make any kind of physician-assisted suicide legal, and a dozen states have banned it. They've actually talked about it and said, not only aren't we going to agree with it, we're going to ban it where it's not legal. Uh, so a physician can't do that. Uh, so that's where we are in this euthanasia physician-assisted suicide. Uh, now, I think that's probably a pretty good place to, yeah, let's stop there, because once we get started on the biblical stuff, we'll have to go for a while. Uh, why does this matter to us? Well, number one, we want to understand the times. Uh, what's going on in some places, and what do we think about that? But, as I said earlier, uh, a lot of us either already have or will uh, come to the place where we have to make end-of-life decisions. Okay? And it is not a simple black and white issue. Uh, any doctor will tell you it's a tricky business. Uh, 
deciding what doctors can do and what they can't and whether there's a chance of recovery and whether uh, to remove the, the life support or continue it or, or whatever is very difficult. Uh, I've been called to the hospital uh, by a family where 90% of the family uh, decided that mom was gone. The doctor said she was brain dead. Uh, she wasn't going to come back. But there was one in the family that said, no, we, we can't take the life support away. I, I, I can't let her go. Okay? That decision gets made every day in hospitals here in Wichita. Uh, so we're going to think through that next week. We'll talk about what the Bible has to say about end-of-life matters. And then we'll work through a reasonable stance for Christians and uh, give you some considerations that maybe will help you if and when uh, you come to making those kind of end-of-life decisions. So we'll tackle that all next week and uh, keep it all together. All right, let's stop there tonight. And uh, remember, I'll put the voters' guides at the back if you're interested. Uh, this evening, we want to do as we always do and make it possible for anybody to respond to the Lord's invitation that wants to. Uh, there may be some public need, a prayer request, or something that we don't know about. Uh, we'll be at the front here to receive you, and if you have any public need, why don't you come? Let's stand and sing.